Welcome to B&B Financially Free, the podcast for ambitious individuals chasing financial freedom through buying short-term rental investments. We're your hosts, Chantal and Peter, and we're the founders of Good Neighbor Realty. Our brokerage has helped hundreds of people turn their active income into passive income by buying unique properties in incredible locations that are earning a ton of money. On this show, we'll bring on a diverse range of guests from industry experts to everyday people who have achieved extraordinary results in their short-term rental investments, businesses, and personal lives. Whether you're seeking tactical advice or trying to unlock your richest life, BNB Financially Free is here to join you on the journey. All right. Today, I am so excited to have you all part of this podcast. It is my first solo episode with BNB Financially Free. And I want to talk about something that is super important. Um, we're going to talk about how people are funding their short-term rental purchases. So this is by far the most important part to scaling your portfolio. And it's something that I've had to learn over the last several years in order to scale my portfolio, um, which is about $7 million in real estate now. So I'm going to go through all the different financing strategies. We're even going to touch on some creative financing strategies. um, So you all are fully prepared to purchase your first short-term rental, purchase your second or even fifth or 10th short-term rental, and what all of the people who are scaling their portfolios are ultimately using to finance their deals. So we're going to kind of start with the lowest down payment options, and then we're going to move up from there. So the best and easiest way to get into short-term rental if you don't have a ton of money is to purchase it as a primary residence. So this means that you are living in the property. When you're considering purchasing something as a primary residence, there are programs, believe it or not, with as little as 1% down payment. Most fall within 35 to 5%. Now, a lot of people might be thinking, oh my goodness, Dave Ramsey would just turn over if he knew that I was putting less than 20% down on a real estate purchase. But ultimately, properties in most markets are around $400,000 and up. And so it's really expensive to get into your first property. And I've seen people you know, feel really strongly about needing 20% to avoid PMI, which is um, just a small monthly payment that you pay pay for having less than 20%. But ultimately, they lose out on things like appreciation. They lose out on mortgage pay down. And the people that I'm talking to today are people that are investors who are ultimately having someone else pay their mortgage. So let's first talk about the primary residence loans. So if you don't have a lot of funds to start, this is how my husband and I started, you can actually purchase a property with 3 to 5% down as a primary residence. Once you do that, you need to live in that property technically for a year unless something changes where you have to move sooner. Sometimes the lender is okay with six months if you have a good reason for moving out of the property. When you're living in the property, you can rent out a portion. So we started off by house hacking where we rented out a basement. We ultimately then built a carriage home. A lot of our clients will start this way. You could even rent a bedroom, but three to 5% down of a purchase price plus about 1% in closing costs is what you're going to need to get started. So let's say that you're looking at something for 500,000. 
a $500,000 property, you're going to need to have about $15,000 in down payment. And then you're going to need about 1% to 2% for closing costs. So let's say another $10,000. So you'd be out of pocket $25,000. Now, if you're like, that's still too much money. I still am just getting started. There's actually something that I wish that I knew about when I first purchased a property. So there's something called down payment assistance. Down payment assistance is basically programs that are grants where they will give you your three to five percent down payment in the form of a grant. Sometimes they're even forgivable if you hold the property for two years. So let's talk about that $500,000 purchase price again. Instead of you coming out of pocket $15,000 to $25,000, there are actually programs where you can come out of pocket at only $1,000. So here's the downside of this your monthly payment is going to be higher um, because you're ultimately being lent more money. So your loan is bigger. And then on top of that, you're going to have a little bit of a higher interest rate. I think that this is a great program for people who are thinking about house hacking and renting out like a basement or carriage home. Because ultimately, if you're putting almost 0% down, um, let's say you're putting out $5,000 for a $500,000 purchase. Sure, your monthly payment is higher than if you were to use the 3 to 5% down payment, but your plan is to rent out a basement or a carriage house. And so you're likely going to be making anywhere from two to 5000 a month by renting out that unit. And so it really offsets that higher monthly cost. And then in our initial conversation, we kind of talked about, you know, that PMI that bothers a lot of people. And it's usually the reason why people decide to wait to get into real estate. But the truth is, is that if you're an investor, you're not the one paying the PMI. You are renting your property out. You're having someone else pay that monthly payment for you. And typically it's between $150 a month to $300 a month. It's not a hugely substantial payment. And your property is going to appreciate far more than that in value if you look at real estate from a long-term perspective. So don't let that wait. Don't let that scare you you um, and don't let that make you miss out on getting into real estate. Now, let's talk about those who do not want to live in their property. So there are also multiple other options for people who are purchasing a property as a non-primary residence. One of the best products out available is actually a second home loan. So the rule is, is that you need to occupy that second home for at least two weeks out of the year. For me, I've purchased second homes before. It's great. I definitely want to occupy it for at least that amount of time. I pick properties in areas that I would enjoy visiting. And so we'll actually take some time every year. And it also gives us the ability to just check on the asset. So for a second home loan, you can actually put as little as 10% down. There are rules and caveats around this. It typically needs to be at least 50 to 55 miles from your primary residence or in an area where it really makes sense. So for instance, I live in Denver. There are mountain markets that are a little bit closer than that 55 miles. If you're working with a good lender, they might be able to say, hey, you know, this is clearly a vacation home. It's clearly in a totally different, um, 
area than where she lives. This is more of a mountain property. It has views. This qualifies as a second home. So make sure that like if you are getting hung up by that rule that you actually do talk to your lender about what qualifies a property as a second home. I really like this option. Um, typically, you do need to have a primary residence um, to be able to qualify for a second home loan. But if you're thinking about building your portfolio, you could purchase a primary home with 5% or less down and then you can purchase a second home with 10% down. After you start getting multiple properties, it gets harder to qualify for multiple second home loans. Um, I had this problem in Colorado when I had a lender look at my portfolio. They were like, Chantal, you have a second home, a third home, and a fourth home. We can't give you another second home loan. Um, and so in that case, then we look at other lending options. One is a, tradi a traditional um, investment home loan. In all of these scenarios, they are looking at your personal income and and debt to see if you qualify for the property. The cool thing about an investment property loan is they will consider what the property's revenue potential is as an investment property. And most investment property loan purchases, they're only going to take into consideration long-term rent. And that is going to be the most common scenario to get qualified for the property off of. So let's say that you're looking at an investment property. The lender is going to require between 15 and 20% down. Higher down payment means better rate, but you would put down your down payment and then they would consider what is the revenue potential of this property if it was a long-term rental. They'll take that into consideration. They'll also take into consideration your personal income and debt in order to qualify you. Now, let's say that you're someone that's like, hey, I'm maxed out. I have a lot of properties the property is not going to make sense from a long-term rental perspective. It only makes sense from a short-term rental perspective. There is still lending options for you. So the next type of loan product is going to be called a DSCR loan product. And what the DSCR loan product does is they're not taking into consideration your personal income or debt. They're actually taking into consideration only what the property can do from a revenue perspective. And now there are really great DSCR loan products that look at short-term rental revenue potential through platforms like AirDNA, which is a software that analyzes what a property's revenue potential is. So this is a really powerful tool for once you are getting to the point where you are building a larger portfolio. So let's say that we're looking at the DSCR loan products. Typically, their down payment is going to be between 20 and 25%. So they want a higher down payment. This can come from your personal cash. It could also come from something like a HELOC, which we'll get into. So they'll look at a property and then they'll say, okay, as a short-term rental, we think that this property can earn X amount of dollars. That amount of dollars needs to cover the monthly payment fully. If it doesn't cover the monthly payment fully, typically the DSCR loan won't work. Another downside to DSCR loans is they typically have a higher interest rate and they do have prepayment penalties. But at some point in all of our investing careers, we do have to look at alternative financing options in order to scale. And if the numbers make sense, again, if you have the mindset of I'm not paying this higher interest rate, I have my tenants paying it and they're paying down my mortgage. I'm getting cash flow, I'm getting appreciation, there really isn't a bad loan product. It's just whether or not the numbers work. 
Now, we also briefly touched on HELOCs. So a HELOC is a home equity line of credit. A HELOC is a great tool for down payments. So what a HELOC is, is let's say that you have a primary residence. You can actually take out a HELOC or home equity line of credit against the equity in your home. Traditionally, let's say that you own a property that you have a 500K loan on and it is now worth a million dollars. A HELOC will let you lend up to 80% of the value of the property. So in this scenario, if you owe 500,000 and it is worth a million dollars, they want to see 20% equity in the home. And so they'll lend up to 800,000, meaning that you can borrow between 500 and 800K or 300K in this scenario. A cool thing about a HELOC is it's typically an interest only payment. And so your monthly payment on a HELOC is much less than if you were to take out a 300k loan. Also, this is a great use for purchasing something cash. Um, once you draw on a HELOC, that money is accessible to you just as cash would be. Or you can use it to do down payments. You can use it to renovate a property. You can use it to furnish a property. It's a great tool to have. Typically, you're going to get the best rate on a HELOC if you're taking it on your primary residence. There are all other um, programs that will allow you to take it on an investment property, you're going to pay higher interest rate when you do that. And then a HELOC eventually becomes a second lien on that property, and you can continue to pay it through the cash flow that you're getting from the rest of your portfolio. Lastly, we're going to talk about creative financing. So while all of these are the traditional ways to get into real estate from a financing perspective, the last one that we'll talk about is creative financing. So this includes subject to, this includes seller financing, where basically you can decide not to use a lender at all. So let's say that you find a seller who has a property to make numbers easy for a million dollars and you'd like to purchase that property, you can elect with the seller to not get a bank involved at all. So me as a buyer, I might come to the seller and I might say, hey seller, I'd like to pay you 10% down or $100,000 on this property. And I'd like to have you finance the property to me. Let's say that in this scenario that they own it outright. I'd like to have a mortgage that's amortized over 30 years and I'd like to have it at 4%. The cool thing about seller financing is you get to determine the terms. The hard thing with this types of financing is not every seller wants to do it. There is inherent risk to them. They are ultimately taking the same type of risk that a lender would. But for some people, it makes a lot of sense. They're able to collect interest every single month, just like a lender would. And they have all of the provisions like a lender would where they can actually repossess the property. They can foreclose on a buyer if they're not good about making their monthly payments. Now, let's say that you're thinking like what seller wants to finance a property for 30 years. Um, you're right. Most sellers are likely not going to want to finance to you for a 30-year term. A lot of sellers we're seeing are open to a 5 to 10-year term. Most of the time, we're seeing that sellers don't prefer this method, though there are some that do. It's just a little bit harder to find. Most people would prefer a buyer who has funds readily available in the form of traditional financing or cash. Now, let's talk about the scenario where a seller might have 
a loan on their own property. So let's say that this million dollar property, the seller has a loan for $500,000. There's another creative financing term called subject to. So in this case, I might say, hey, seller, I'd like to give you $100,000 in down payment or 10%. And I'd like to match your monthly payment that you have on your current loan. You're going to fully sell the property to me, but we're going to have a wrap deed of trust, meaning that while ownership of the property is given to me, the consumer, you are going to keep your loan in place. And you are going to continue to make these monthly payments to your lender. I will match those monthly payments. We'll have a servicer um, withdraw every month from my account and pay your lender directly. That's typically a $35 servicing fee. And I'm going to pay you the rest of the $400,000 in another monthly installment at a 4% interest, maybe amortized over 30 years, just like a normal loan would be. This could be advantageous to the seller because they might defer um, capital gains tax on the sale. They can earn interest. And then everything in seller financing is completely negotiable. So you might decide, okay, the seller is going to hold their loan in place and they're going to finance the outstanding equity to me for a term of five to 15 years. And we've even seen people get as low as 0% interest doing this method. This typically works best for someone who has a price in mind that they really want to get on a property and they have time and maybe they don't need all of the money up front because they might not know what to do with it quite yet. So there's so many different ways to finance a property. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at Good Neighbor Realty. You can find us at www.thegoodneighbors.com or email us at info at the good neighbors. We'd love to talk to you about how to fund and finance your dream portfolio. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend who's also interested in real estate investing. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a review wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. 